Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mobile Technology Spotlight, sponsored by Samsung Electronics of America and presented by Public Safety Insight. Samsung is committed to supporting public safety and helping first responders to use technology as a force multiplier. I'm Dale Stockton, and today I'll be talking with Captain Andreas Johansson of the Corona California Fire Department. Captain Johansson is also a paramedic. He's been in fire and emergency medical services for more than 28 years. And for most folks in public safety, he's known as just HJ. He's with us today because he's a recognized thought leader when it comes to leveraging smartphone technology. And he's probably the best in the country when it comes to effectively using what's known as the Android Team Awareness Kit or ATAC or simply TAC. It's a powerful app and you'll hear more about it during today's podcast. So let's turn to AJ. Thanks so much for being with us today. And would you start us off by sharing a little bit about Corona Fire Department and maybe your role with the agency? Sure. And, and thanks for having me on. Corona is uh, in Southern California. We're halfway between LA and San Diego in the Inland Empire. We service a population of 160,000. We're about 40 square miles. Um, we're an all-hazard fire department. We do EMS, paramedics, uh, fire, technical rescue, hazmat, active shooter, and uh, we're deployed out of seven stations. We have nine companies, and we're, we run about uh, 16,000 calls for service a year. We do uh, border the U.S. Forest Service and CAL FIRE areas. We're very busy dealing with uh, remote area rescues in the forest and, and wildfires. And we have uh, seven mutual aid partners that we run with daily. My role with the fire department, I'm currently a paramedic engine captain, um, but I also have my collateral duties um, with technology. It just kind of naturally fell into my lap. I've always been interested in technology, starting back with I started with the Forest Service, working on a hotshot crew. I was the young person that was interested in how the radios worked and when we got GPS units. And so I've kind of always gravitated towards that. And we really never really had someone in our fire department really in charge of technology and um, I kind of saw the need and raised my hand and, and sort of started molding how we, how we deployed technology over the last five or six years. That's great. And, and definitely technology continues to take on a, a bigger role in public safety. What about an overview of the way that mobile technologies, specifically smartphones and tablets, are being used at your agency and, and, and maybe other agencies around you? Sure. Yeah. You know, we've had phones on our fire apparatus at Corona. I came to Corona. I started with the Forest Service and Cal Fire. I did about 10 years split between those two agencies and then came to Corona in 2005. And we did have uh, phones deployed on, on the fire engine. They were little uh, flip phones. And we would use those to call the hospital for based hospital orders on uh, emergency medical services runs. And and, you know, you could use it, um, you know, to call the chief or another fire engine, but strictly, you know, as a telephone. And as we saw the the smartphone kind of evolution happen, we jumped on, on pretty early and, you know, leveraging applications. We saw a, a big use case in uh, using a mobile hotspot with our heart monitors so we could transmit EKGs to the hospital. So the hospital could see what we were seeing and maybe help us determine if someone was having a heart attack or not based on our, our findings. And I will, I will go back as, as far as tablet roles. We started on the EMS side running just uh, desktop clients on mobile computers to run EMS reporting. And I, I feel like at that time, we were kind of ahead of our time. We were using you know a Microsoft Access program on a Windows machine. 
uh, was very clunky. And we actually abandoned that in about 2008 and went back to paper. And we would go back to the station and take all our paper reports and put it back. We, we didn't abandon the process. We just, it was too clunky to do in the, in the field at the time. And um, due to some other uh, programs we had, we, we went back in the field again on a still a, a more of a, a desktop client on more of a mobile form factor computer. It still was not really effective. It was very clunky. And in 2018, we really saw the need and, and we saw the maturity in a lot of the mobile products of how do we get to a smaller form factor? How do we get something that is truly mobile, not uh, a desktop client on a small, a little computer that does have a touchscreen? And that was about the year I found out about, I learned about ATAC. And that was really our push to tablets. We already had smartphones. At that point, they were very old. Um, they were about five years old. We really weren't leveraging them for any sort of situational awareness. And uh, Mike Lechleiter, a firefighter that worked with me and I, we, we looked at ATAC. We looked at our EMS deployment. We knew we needed to move to a tablet. And, and actually, one of the big reasons uh, we got to move to a mobile OS is our record management system went from being something that had to be Windows-based to something that ran in the cloud and that we could access through a web browser. So that opened up the doors. We wrote a position paper and pushed towards the Android operating system for ATAC. And we we chose Samsung as kind of the flagship Android hardware. And uh, the chief put some trust into us. In 2018, we moved to Samsung S, S10 phones, Galaxy S10 phones, and the Galaxy S4 tablet. The tablets do, at this point, a lot of different duties. They're running ATAC, of course, and that is a great tool. The bigger tablet, if you're in the cab of the fire engine and you're kind to, uh, you know, looking at a bigger view of the map, but its main thing that it does every day is our EMS reporting. We run about 10,000 EMS calls a day. So that gets used on every EMS call where we document the patient's, you know, name, their vital signs. Uh, we use the mobile hotspot to upload our vital signs off our EKG monitors. We use it for our business inspections. So we're out in the field um, inspecting businesses for fire safety violations and hazards. Uh, we use it when uh, the fire apparatus engineer checks out the fire engine for the day. They're using the tablet. So it's, it's really got a lot of uses. We've been very happy with our tablet deployment. And then on the phone side, you know, we were on a smartphone before, but we're leveraging a lot more. ATAC, of course, being able to track uh, dismounted where folks are when they're dismounted from the fire engine. You know, the Android's operating system has a lot of neat tools in it that we didn't have on our previous phones. So we're leveraging a lot of widgets and it makes it just a lot easier for our guys out in the field. That's impressive that you're using it in all those ways. And I'm, I'm also impressed by just how frequently the tablets are being used in, in what used to be a clipboard type environment. So you've mentioned ATAC a couple of times. I mentioned it in opening the show today. What is it and where did it come from and what's it doing for public safety today? The Team Awareness Kit or TAC is a suite of applications. We're deployed on the Android version, which is ATAC, Android Team Awareness Kit. But there's a suite of applications that run on different operating systems. You can learn more about it at if you go to tac.gov. But it is a moving map application that allows uh, anybody logged in on a smartphone or a tablet or a computer to share their location with other members, share vital information. If I was to drop a hazard point, I could broadcast across the network and, 
and others would see uh, that hazard point. It allows us to really coordinate responses. We see a lot of use in wildfire where traditionally I would be giving a radio report of my location. And, you know, when you're out, not on a street corner, that makes it very difficult to describe to, they say, a chief officer or incident commander where you're at. And now, you know, our chief officers can see where we're at when we're dismounted. We see a lot of use, too, for this application in remote area rescues. On the south side of our town, we do border the Cleveland National Forest. It's very popular for hikers, mountain bikers, and it does have decent cell phone coverage. So when someone is is hurt there, they typically can call 911 from their cell phone. We are leveraging rapid SOS. So we're getting the location of the caller. We can plug that into ATAC, share that across the team, and really help organize the, you know, the best way to rescue this individual. And everybody is on the same sheet of music. So if someone now starts to hike towards that victim, we can actually see where they've hiked. Say it is a, a large area search. We're trying to determine where someone is at. Sometimes it isn't the caller or the person injured that calls. We've seen this before. Um, a pair of mountain bikers, you know, they, they crash. Maybe they don't have coverage where they're at. The person is not injured, rides down the hill, gets coverage. And now, now they're calling 911 and they're saying, hey, my friend is up on uh, this trail. Well, we've mapped all the trails and put an ATAC too. So it, it makes it a lot easier for us to kind of coordinate where folks are at. Uh, we're leveraging this for active shooter now. We lobbied our local school district, the Corona Norco Unified School District, which is the largest in our county for 50 campuses to hire a critical response group. And now we have geospatial maps of all the schools. So when we do deploy there and uh, we're starting to get reports that someone is in, let's say, the science room or they're in room 206. We have those maps on our phones where we can see where we're at on the map. Uh, we can see where our partner forces are on the map. It, it has really changed our kind of view of situational awareness. If I'm following you right, AJ, this helps provide a common operating picture for agencies that might not necessarily have a common radio channel. Is that true? It's funny you mentioned that about radio channels. I, I look in the future as, as TAC is starting to kind of become popular in public safety. You asked the question, you know, where it came from. You know, this, this is a program, a free program from the federal government. It started in the special operations community. They wanted a way for, you know, the operators to see where each other were on a mission and to be able to call close air support, see their position in GPS location format and see where they wanted to put the munitions to make sure they weren't putting munitions on themselves. You know, it came out of that out of that community and there was the mill version. And now they have this civilian version or public safety version that's available. So the beauty of, of TAC is the special operations community keeps putting in the test and asks more requirements of it. We are benefactors of that. So it is free and you can get it at TAC.gov. The fact that this is kind of open source and it's free might concern some folks in terms of, well, is it secure? But I assume because it evolved out of DOD that it in fact has a degree of security and encryption built in. Is that the case? It does. It, it is secure. And, and to answer your question before, I, I got a little off track there, but you, you'd asked the question about, you know, is this a way for us to get on the same sheet of music if we're not on a common uh, voice channel? And the way I see it in the future at least for fire, you know, when we get a, a dispatch, we have the command channel, we have a tactical channel. And, and one day I, I see, well, what is the tax server that this incident is being um, deployed on? Or what is the data sync mission in the tax server? 
in addition to voice comms, it'll be where, where do I need to go for tax so we're all on the same sheet of music. But yeah, security is is always a concern. A tax server definitely is deployed in a secure environment. You can deploy your own tax server. There is Team Connect from PAR. There's a, a couple of different ways to deploy TAC, but all if you're deploying it on your own hardware, there are ways to make it extremely secure. You can revoke credentials. If the phone becomes compromised, uh, you can keep it from connecting to your tax server. I heard you mention PAR. I, th- I think you're referring to PAR government. They've helped a lot of folks get up and running with ATAC. And I know that you can get the basic ATAC for free to download, but what should an agency be aware of in terms of the cost associated with using TAC or ATAC, the, the server, maybe some of the additional apps that are associated with it? Sure. And I can in touch on what you just mentioned about TAC being available. It is available on the Play Store. So you can go to Google Play Store right now and get ATAC. It is stripped of some of uh, the items that you would normally get on TAC.gov, some of the additional plugins. There, The way the Google Play Store works, there is a limit to the size of the application. So they they strip some of the additional plugins that would normally come with the ATAC Civ that you would get from TAC.gov. Uh, once you register on TAC.gov, then you have the availability to get all of the plugins um, if you're for a government agency off the website. As far as deployment and cost, you know, one of the things I love about TAC is there's no right way to do it. It really can be tailored to the way you want to do it. TAC server is free. It is open source. You can get it at TAC.gov. So if you have the wherewithal or want to learn or you have an IT department that wants to deploy TAC um, server on, on your hardware or put it in your cloud tool of preference. It's totally doable. There are companies that will host tax server as a service. Par government is one of those. We use a product of theirs called Situation X, which is a tax server as a service. And Raytheon BBN now is getting into the tax server as a service. They all come at different costs. The one we go through from par government is about $120 a license per year. There's a lot of functionality that we get with Situation X. That this podcast probably isn't it's too short to go into all of that. But again, a lot of options. And you could deploy both. You could be a we're a Situation X customer. We also are leveraging a port on the FBI tax server. We are also using a tax server from the US Forest Service. So depending on the mission we're on, will depend on which tax server we're going to be using. And then one thing about tax server and an ATAC is you can be connected to multiple servers at the same time. So you can shut them on and off as needed. Wow. Sounds like a very, very powerful tool. The assumption here is that it relies primarily on cellular. And you mentioned your agency is adjacent to a lot of open area, a national forest. What happens when you don't have cellular coverage? Is there a way to still use ATAC? Yeah, there, there sure is. And I, the PACE acronym coming from the military is definitely transcended into public safety. So you have your primary. Um, this could be for planning. Um, I bring it into the connectivity or communications realm. So you have your primary plan, your alternate plan, your contingency, and your emergency. You know, primarily we're all using LTE, but as you mentioned, you get into some of these more rural areas, and it doesn't take far for us out of the city to get into some of these uh, rural areas in the national forest that have some dead spots for cellular. So there sure is a way to connect. ATAC, when it was first built, was built to be on a flat network or a local area network. It was meant to be peer-to-peer. If you get 
ATAC on two Android devices and you hop on the same Wi-Fi, it will leverage what's called multicast and you will see both devices. You'll be able to send what we call situational awareness markers. So I could drop a marker, send it to the unit. I could chat. I will see both units on there. And so the benefit of that is that we can hop, that we can bring a network with us. There's a number of tools out there. You know, Gotenna is is a, a very popular mesh network that allows uh, two ATAC clients to see each other. Another one that we leverage is Beartooth. That is a, a great tool that we use. It's a 900 megahertz. It's using the ISM band. So you do not have to worry about any sort of FCC or getting licenses or using the VHF or UHF bands like we do on Gotenna. They're both great products. Both just have, have a, a different way to de- deploy. You can go all the way up to these very expensive, you know, Man-A radios, uh, Silvus, uh, Mesh Network, Persistent Systems, uh, Trellisware, Talon is a new one coming out from Phoenix. So uh, Doodle Labs is another uh, radio that we've played with. We've been using our drones in Mesh. So a lot of, again, like I mentioned before, we're tech server, a bunch of different ways to deploy and a bunch of different ways to kind of go off network, if you will, away from your primary plan into an alternate plan uh, for communication. One uh, that is a little more tailored to a specific device is uh, Keysquare Labs has uh, something called Plugnix that works with Motorola radios. Uh, we recently moved to Motorola APX series radios. So this allows the APX or radio to talk peer-to-peer to another APX radio and send that your ATAC position, send basic shapes, and chat. In the opening, you talked a lot about the tablets and the way they're being used. I would assume that the preferred way to use ATAC and see ATAC is probably on a slightly bigger screen, the tablet. It lends itself well to that. Is that correct? You know, it all depends on, on what position you're in. You know, if you're an incident commander at a fixed command post or you're doing this uh, in a vehicle, yeah, the larger screen is really nice. We're up to now leveraging for battalion chiefs, this Samsung S8 Ultra. That is a 15-inch screen. The Chiefs love it. Um, it's got a super fast processor, lots of RAM. Um, the screen's bright. They love that device. Um, they went from when we first deployed on S4s, the 10-inch screen, and then when the S7 Plus came out, we got them that, and now they're up to the S8 Ultra. So, yeah, in that kind of fixed position or in the fire engine, the, the tablet is nice. Um, but you know, obviously not something you want to deploy when you're hiking out of the field. And that's where we deploy our phones. Understood. Let's go back to talking about smartphones in a broader sense and and mobile technology for public safety. What do you see as the future for mobile in fire and emergency medicine areas? Well, you know, we're doing a lot already that it, it still kind of blows my mind. We're moved to, you know, on the EMS side, we've now are leveraging ultrasounds. And so you know, the EMS committee was like, hey, we're going to leverage these ultrasounds. And I, and I was working at a, I just finished a two-year stint as our emergency medical service officer. And we have a technical advisory group um, full of, you know, gung-ho firefighter paramedics that are always looking at like the cutting edge of EMS and, and how can we deploy and do things better. And we got on the study to deploy um, ultrasounds. And I was like, okay, so does it have its own screen? Like, no, you use it with a, with a tablet or a smartphone. I was like, perfect. And so we grabbed our trusty S10, Galaxy S10 phones, and they work great. We actually I used one on a cardiac arrest last night. Unfortunate event, obviously, for, for the patient. He did not respond to our efforts. You know, you just want to make sure that 
you've done everything you can, and we're using it to actually look at the heart in the field to make sure there is actually no movement. And we use it for other things too. Outside of cardiac arrest, we can look for pneumothorax. So it's just another way that, you know, I didn't see that as a mobile tool. You know, I thought, oh, it must have its own screen. We're actually using the phone that's on the fire engine. It plugs in USB-C into this and we're using the screen on it. We're recording on it. We're actually sending that from the phone to the provider so they can review it and see how we're doing. So on the EMS side, that was huge. Something that kind of surprised me. I see telemedicine, you know, using tablets and phones with the cameras. So, you know, we're not doing that yet, but so a doctor can talk directly to a patient or see a critical patient that maybe we'll want to get a second opinion on with the doctor. I just think in general, I think the the computer-based clients are going to go away. Mobile tablets will replace probably the traditional mobile data computer on fire engines. It, it is much better on the swap side. So size, weight, and power cost is definitely, you know, it's a, a third of the cost of some of these client-based computers running Windows. So I, I think it's going to, you're going to see more and more. And, and we're looking that way. We're moving to a new CAD which will allow us to to roll with a a mobile OS CAD client. So we're we're excited about that. We're starting to experiment it, uh, with it now with the tablets on the fire engines. So I think just all around you're going to see more and more and I think you're going to start seeing mobile stuff integrated into products like our our breathing apparatus. You know, you maybe see the it one day have its own LTE chip in it, you know, its own little processor that is pushing out position pushing out information about the user. It's not going away, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's incredible. And I was picturing as you were as you were speaking, this ambulance rolling down the roadway and the ultrasound in the in the back of the ambulance being used and the doctor in the ER seeing it real time. That's just game changing, isn't it? It really is. It's again, I said we we're using it last night in someone's living room. And, you know, we never like to leave it's never good to, you know, you run a cardiac arrest and someone doesn't respond and we have to leave them there. Just give us that extra assurance that, Hey, we've done everything. The heart isn't beating. We haven't missed anything. And like I said, that's just one use case of that tool, but it, we can even tell the family, Hey, we used an ultrasound. We looked at, you know, it just didn't respond. That's tough. But like you said, you've done everything you can at that point. Let's end with this, AJ. This has been really, really insightful. And I'm sure for a lot of people, they're like, wow, I didn't even know this was available. So what recommendations would you have for agency leaders that want to engage mobile more effectively? How do they get up to speed? I, I know you've worked with a lot of agencies around the country or presented training to a lot of agencies. Give us some best practices. Where do they get resources? What about funding? What should they think? What's the priorities? I think a great place to start is IPSA, the International Public Safety Association. They've got a lot of great vignette videos on there that are showing how different agencies are deploying technology. That's a great place to kind of look at, see what other people are doing. It's always good to do a little reflection, you know, look at what you're currently doing. Is it effective? For sure, don't get vendor locked. I think that's my my biggest thing to really look around and be objective and look at all the options that are out there. Well, you know, look, look at some of the tools or applications that are out there. Just because you're not doing something doesn't mean, you know, like we weren't tracking where people were before. 
the best we were doing on a wildfire was bringing a geospatial map in and seeing our location, but we weren't looking at other people. When we brought this forward, it was like, it was earth shattering. It was like, wow, we can do this. You know, I'd had that on my phone before I'd use life 360 to track where my kids were, my, and my spouse. But I was like, this isn't really like, this isn't for public safety. This is just for tracking my family. And now I have that same application on my phone on steroids for tracking our, our mobile forces. So, you know, I'd say work with your IT departments for sure. You know, it's always best to get some buy-in and be on the same page and, and let them know the things that you want to do. And they, they can also help you budget wise. Um, we're dealing with that with that. Now we are trying to come up with a good budget cycle for replacement of technology. That is something that we have never really done well. We did it use with our mobile data computers, but now we're trying to do that. All right. We need to build that same framework in for our phones and tablets. You know, we need a budgetary cycle that every three years, these get swapped new cases and, and includes all of that stuff. Cause some of that stuff can get missed. And then if you haven't budgeted well for it, well, then you're, you're left waiting another year sometimes in most uh, government you didn't budget well for it, you're going to have to wait till the next year. Great suggestions. And you're mentioning uh, IPSA reminds me that you participated in a webinar that was hosted by IPSA. And we'll make sure we include a link to that in the show notes for this podcast. That was a great overview of ATAC. And there was a another law enforcement or another public safety presenter on there Nick Cervantes from Riverside County Sheriff. It was just just a really engaging overview of ATAC and its effectiveness. So we'll close it out at this point. Captain Andreas Johansson, thank you so, so much for participating in today's podcast. I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this. That concludes today's episode of Mobile Technology Spotlight, sponsored by Samsung Electronics of America and presented by Public Safety Insight. Be safe out there. 